Spirit Girl with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 8th, 2013, and this is episode 1182 of the Survival Podcast. And I'm bringing back a guest we had about a year ago, maybe a year and a half, Xavier Hawk, who's just an awesome guy. He's a volunteer firefighter and EMT. He's like semi-retired from the business consulting world. He's a prepper. He's gone from living in suburbia to the rural mountains of western North Carolina. They set up a homestead there. He came on to talk to us about that before. And now he's turned his homestead into a permaculture-style eco-village. He's going to talk to us about that today. It should be an interesting show. Before... Uh, bring Xavier on, though. I want to go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make show, sure the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical has all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle. Uh, check them out today for all kinds of cool stuff. Magpul magazines, uh, Maxpedition bags, uh, the... Uh, Awesome, the cool, the very manly titanium spork. That thing's big enough to freaking beat somebody to death with. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, and they've got all kinds of great stuff. To be serious, though, for a second, they are a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company located in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. That's where the term Sawtack comes from. Check them out today at sawtack.com. And remember, they do provide a discount for all members of the Member Support Brigade. Check the benefits section of your MSB account if you have one before you order from them to get that discount. Next up today, knifekits.com. Let's say you wanted to make a knife. And let's say you said, you know, I'd love to learn how to make a knife, but I, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I would like something that would make that process simple so I can make something cool and affordable that's just for me. If you went over to knifekits.com, you would find everything you need to do that, from a helpful staff that will help you make the right selection, to cool handle materials, plenty of kits that are already set up and ready to go. But what if you were like, you know what, I make my own knives all the time, and I want cool materials like buffalo horn or Damascus steel or something like that. Well, if you went over to knifekits.com, you too, as a master bladesmith, would find everything you need. Check them out today, knifekits.com. Check out their Kydex holster kits as well. You can make a holster for just about anything with those. Uh, again, uh, knifekits.com. And they also do a discount for member support brigade members. So make sure uh, you always check the MSB before ordering from a sponsor. Not every sponsor does a discount, folks. If you go to the MSB, go to the discount section and don't see something, that means it doesn't exist. Um, last but not least, I do want to remind you about the Member Support Brigade today and encourage you to consider joining if you haven't already done so. By doing so, you'll be helped supporting the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode, and you'll get great discounts like the one I talked about, over $200 worth of free ebooks and a lot of other great stuff. Check it out today. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members or the Member Support Brigade banner that you'll see in the columns on the uh, right. With that, I'm ready to get into today's show. It's going to be an awesome one. Uh, Xavier is one of those good friends I've never actually had the uh, the opportunity to shake hands with or drink a beer with, uh, but yet he's still a good friend and uh, he's been a friend uh, online for a long time. He's been a good friend to the show and to our community, and with that, I'm happy to say, hey, Xavier, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. In fact, Welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me again, Jack. Hey, uh, for people that maybe haven't caught you when you've been on the air with us before, could you just kind of talk real quick about you know where, where where you're living and what your place is like? Sure, sure. Um, five years ago, I was uh, 
business consultant in sunny South Florida on the beach. And um, my wife and I were like, we want to get closer to the land. And we both have concerns about how to live properly and what, you know, what, what is prudent to do in these times. And we decided to move to Western North Carolina. And I was, you know, a complete suburbanite, though I had had background in wilderness survival and tracking and all of those kinds of things. I was living in suburbia. And um, we decided to take the plunge, bought a nice organic farm in the mountains of North Carolina, and <laughs> have been learning ever since. Very cool. And you've, you've really changed a lot from what you started doing in the beginning. You kind of went in with like a single-family homestead idea. Like yeah. most people, I'm going to go out, I'm going to find my place, I don't want everybody to leave me the hell alone, I'm going to grow my food, I'm going to do my thing, I'm going to kick back and get away from all of the toxic components, both chemical and just emotional, yeah. uh, of the world, and I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll be nice to people, but basically I'm going to do this on my own. And you've moved into a small neighborhood eco-village concept. What, what made you decide to do that? Well, we did, like you said come here and, and just kind of jumped into it on our own. We had some friends who came through at different times, and, you know, we realized when people were not here just how much taking care of 11 acres is, especially for a growing family. We're actually expecting our fourth child now, which is really exciting. Um, but they, it was it, it's just a lot, you know, and if we're talking about actually having um, some crops and doing some actual productivity, it's really way too much to handle 11 acres that need to be managed, really, because if you're just letting it go, it could really damage the land from a, from a permaculture perspective um, in terms of, like, what we're trying to do for production value here. Um, and so we basically realize, like, it takes a, a village, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it also takes a village to take care of land properly, and it also takes care of a family properly, you know. Um, we're out here alone, and yes, we have neighbors and we have friends that we've developed here, but um, it's always good to have new culture, new people, new information, new stuff coming through, and we were finding that we were missing that being, you know, almost an hour away from town. So um, it was kind of like when people showed up, we, we had so much fun, we learned together, they had interests that we didn't have that we got to learn from, and really it's, it's just about skill sharing and, and learning from one another, and it, it takes the load off, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many things in my life have been a problem, and then I'll meet or learn from one person some way to address that, and then that problem just goes away. It's no longer a problem. And, and the more people that you involve when you're in a solutions-oriented lifestyle, the, the more that happens. And, I mean, that re really is what – I don't think I've ever put it that way before. I mean, what do you think about that way of – Terminate it, you know, uh, explaining it like most people's lives are a problem oriented lifestyle, right? Everything's right. about putting off fires. When you turn away from that and go into like the homesteading mode, even if you still have a regular job, like a lot of people do, you go from, from a problem centered environment to a solution centered environment. Yeah, well, solutions definitely come a lot quicker because you you have a system in place, or you're part of a you become you plug yourself into basically a living system, and you know it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot, but you do have to plug in and um, find ways to solve different different solutions, different um, solve different problems, you know. And coming from a business background, that's actually a really good thing. Um, when you come to a homestead, it's like, oh, I can solve this problem, I can fix this problem, we can save time and efficiency here, and 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 whatnot, and. Um, Coming up, and you know, with the the community that's out there of people that are homesteading and learning about all of these new skills and sharing it on YouTube, it's like we have all the resources we need to figure out the solutions for whatever problem we may have here. You know what I mean? 
I do, and I, I've seen two types of communities developing uh, right now, and I mean, there's really millions, but I mean, just really split it in two is online communities where people that are communing with each other, and one guy's in Florida, the other guy's in Washington State, they're as right. far away as they could get, and still be in the continental lower 48, but then that community has certain weaknesses, but it has some advantages, and the advantages are anybody can join, people can freely exchange information, and nothing gets in the way. You're doing this in the, you know, hand palm touching real world with people. Uh, and yeah. then you get into what people don't like about somebody else's house and so as you put this kind of eco village concept together, how did you structure it with rules? There, you know, in your area are you dealing with any kind of HOA bullshit? What kind of hurdles is it? Right. You know, do you have to set up a nonprofit? I mean, how did you deal with all of that? Well, you know, there are a lot of I, I had when I was younger, I traveled and I'd seen a lot of different communities and what was working, what wasn't. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of different governance styles and all of this stuff and all of these experimental communities. People are like experimenting what it means to live in a commun intentional community in an eco village. And I was like, you know what? None of that works because you're sitting and focusing on how we're going to get along. Like, they, like we spend all of our time figuring out how we're going to get along instead of actually doing something. And I realized that the communities that were focused on doing something and producing something together those were the ones that just naturally, they just naturally harmonized. People ended up working together. If there was a problem that, you know, you figured it out. And I found out that the structure that's really, really works for communities is like a business structure where you plug in and you're either hired by the business or you're paying into the business, meaning like you're renting there or something like that. Um, when we started out with the, with the concept, there was a lot of, uh, you know, like rules and regulations. Do you have to have a homeowners association? Well, you do if you want to have an intention behind the community or a purpose so that you can say like, okay, you can do this with your land and you can't do this. And that's only to keep, that's only to keep folks like, let's say I buy into somebody's village and I get, I get there and I realize, you know what, I don't want to do this. And I've bought the piece of land in that village. Um, and I want to sell it to, you know, Bubba or somebody that that has no intention of even being a part of that village or doing what that village wants to or you know so there there are sort of um it's like guidelines that need to be in place to be able to protect the overall vision and purpose of that of that village you know because if you think back in the days like or even in today in like places like West Virginia or whatever with the coal miners there would be cities set up just specifically to um service and house an industry you know even like Detroit the car industry right so the communities that were that we had visited that were successful were ones that had a purpose and a goal and they were doing something functionally that provided for the outside world. They weren't just coming together and figure out how we're going to live together. And they had um, sort of a, a structure in place where if you bought in, you couldn't just turn around and sell it to anybody. You had to keep the, the sort of vision of going along of what the, the intention of the community was. So I kind of hybridized the whole thing and said, oh, and then you have to deal with if you own the property outright or if you have a note on it. Like if you have a mortgage like we do and you, you can't put a, um, a homeowners association in place unless you own the place outright or unless your lender agrees to it and then they become a stakeholder all of a sudden in, in your village and it gets really all kinds of messy and you just don't want to yeah. do that, you know. So um, – for us, it, we, the, a number of communities around us, what they're doing really well is they put the land into conservancy, right? So it becomes a tax haven. And then also putting a, um, a homeowners association of, of sorts in place. And I know you hate those, but in some regards, when you're, when you're dealing with the larger county or the state, it, it really helps. Um, 
And if you can make it as lax as possible, that's ideal, you know, because ultimately you want to be able to keep the, the purpose of the community together without diluting it and having it change hands so many times. And so there's a place out here called Silo, and they, were, they bought like these thousands of acres, put them all to conservancy, and then a section they turned into um, still a conservancy, but you could buy membership rights you know, or land use agreements. And you would buy a 99-year lease, essentially, that was also deedable and transferable. So you could sell the lease to somebody else. You know what I mean? But for them to buy into it, they would have to be, they would have to agree to the guidelines set out about how this community wants to live. Gotcha. So, you know, what we looked at is, well, like, how can we do that with the person feeling like they have the, the stake in it? Because a lot of people want to be landowners, you know. But how do yeah. you um, – and, and, but a lot of people really don't care whether or not they're landowners. They really do want to live in a, in a way that's balanced with the earth. They want to be growing their own food, having their own schooling, you know, all of those kinds of things that we're, um, that we're used to, but uh, more natural, you know. So there, I've found that people were willing to, to forego that and have and buy and buy and have a lease, you know, and say like, well, we build this house and we have the equity in the house. And when that happens, you know, it's like then you can sell the house if you want along with the lease, and you still are having something that you can transfer and deed to your children or sell to somebody else. That's interesting, and it, and it allows for a single control as far as maintaining the the purpose of the. Environment. I, I, as a libertarian, I get very leery with things. I, I know, <laughs> but, but I also look at things that have been proven effective with long-term leases. For instance, when I was at Dave Jackie's workshop up in Montana last month, he showed a picture of a community garden mm-hmm. in, I think it was Holland or Switzerland or somewhere, somewhere over in Europe. Yeah, and you know, we have a community garden in the United States is a whole bunch of raised beds, and you know, you get a, a bed for a season or something like that. Right. Over there, they have community gardens where they get like a hundred-year lease, right? Oh, no way. That's great. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's a sense of permanence there. And this picture had like there were cabins built where people's community gardens were. And like people would go there for certain parts of the year and stay on site because they had that much of a stake in it. And like even like the, he said something like this one like it's a hundred year lease but the lease is guaranteed renewable by any heir. Right. Exactly. So it's it's. In essence, it is permanent. It, 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 it really is. And not only that, but what this allows us to do is really open up to a market that is desperate for this lifestyle but doesn't have the funds to buy in, you know, buy like a $100,000 partial and then also build a $100,000 house. I mean, that's like in, in the, our target market is actually what you just touched on. It's people who have a traveling lifestyle, an adventuring lifestyle. They go around the world and they, they, they do workshops or they, um, they have a home here in South America and here in the United States. And they're they're mobile, you know, but they want that community. They want a home base to go back to. Exactly. They want to plug in, know that the food's good, that their kids can be there's daycare there and that there could be cool cultural events happening, you know. So and and what you're talking about is you're not talking about a hundred thousand dollar plot that you have to buy. You know, you're talking like 20 grand and you're in and you've got a place and you can build almost nearly whatever kind of home you want. So long as it's up to code. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And you 
it's not even it has to be up to code because Xavier Hawks says so. It's so uh, everybody else stays out of Xavier Hawks' ass. Exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. And then and the the communities that were successful that I found were run as businesses by individuals or by families with a per, with a vision, and people bought into that. You know, and because they want the lifestyle, they want the health, they want to go outside and be able to pick the fruits and the berries. By the way, I've just picked like five gallons of elderberries um, for for mead tinctures and and all kinds of greatness. But um. You know, having you know, um, Paul, Paul Wheaton's doing something very similar but different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, of course. The old Cheech Marion thing, it's the same but different. Yeah. Um, where he's just picked up a hundred and something, I don't know what it is, several hundred acres. And he has basically a, a lease program. I think it's a 10-year lease. Mm-hmm. And you can pay all 10 years up front, and I guess you get, get it for a better price. Right. Or you can pay annually, and like the first year is dirt cheap. It's like seven fifty for an acre. For the first year, but basically right now, that first year is it's cold. Winter's coming. It's Montana, and there's no resources here yet. Right. Um, and if you don't pay for the full term, then your you know your rents your lease will go up next year. If yeah. You want to stay, but he's kind of got that same concept going on. Like this is this is my place. I am your benevolent dictator. <laughs> I really don't care what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody else or harm the land or harm me. Right. Um, but there are a few things that we're going to all agree to and. You know, we, we kind of talked about, like, the, the methodology of problem solving, mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, the, the first thing is, before you do it, you should just ask yourself, will it hurt anybody, or will it bother anybody? And if you think it might, go ask them before you do it. Right. And then see if the two of you can agree upon it before you do it. And if you can, then do it. And if you can't, or you've done it already and you guys can't figure out a solution, then come to me. And then I'm probably going to basically say, off with both your heads in a nice way, and go back and sort your stuff out. Mm. And uh, I think that model can work. It can work. And again, it goes back to the business model. It goes back to what you had talked about, the business of permaculture, um, or permaculture business, right? Where, yeah. you, you know, those seven, the, um, the, I, I forget how long ago it was. but it, Eight forms of capital? Yeah, exactly. And, and it really, like, it really spoke to me because I was thinking, wow, if we could, if, if businesses, like, uh, I, I hate Target and all of these companies, but if they bought farms and yeah. set up eco-villages, they would have food produced for them cheaper than they could go and source from in China or wherever. And they Correct. providing their employees. Like, so I'm like, wow, how do we start this? And it's with the eco-village concept. And what's funny is that since we've gotten this one up and running and, and set, I've, I mean, I've got a business model that works, you know, and it's like, it makes money, it produces food, it produces good, you know, all of those tenants, you know, it produces social capital, it produces, you know, all of these wonderful things. So it's like really looking at business as a permaculture, like you would on your farm, and then looking at your farm as you would a business, in a permaculture business. What's going to make money? Are you going to sell arugula and, you know, kale and make a whole bunch of money? No, but that can be a portion of the stream of income that you have. Um which you want multiple, right? You want to be able to produce some kind of product. You want to have something like this. But the real thing is people living here and paying to be here, you know, and paying for the lifestyle. And what we've found is, is like people are like, there are different levels of, of people involved in, in life and travel and, and different levels of success that they have, right? Some folks are young folks and are um, traveling and learning all these different programs and learning different skills. And they would go into town, let's say in Asheville and pay like $800 a month rent for basically a room in a house. You know what I mean? Whereas if yeah. you could provide them something smaller or a pod of sorts, and this is where we, we found some really great technologies that are out there. 
but they'll pay to live in a pod like you would at a hostel, right? Like a barrack style almost, but with a little bit more privacy. You get you get to sit up, you have a computer space, you know, and you get storage because how much time do you really spend in a bedroom, right? Um, you sleep there, and sometimes people like get dressed there and the stuff in the morning, but usually you're out working or doing something. So let's give them a pod that they can meditate in, work in, and sleep in, and then they're out and doing stuff in all of these great communal spaces where you can find your privacy in this corner of the farm and in this building, or you can go hang out on the yoga deck that overlooks the valley, and people will come and do yoga, and you can have conversations. It's like a, a mini a mini city, like a mini culture, and there's um, people would be willing to pay that rent to be there. And with the alternative housing structures that we have currently available to us, that we can put people in and they don't cost too much, but they're really cool. They're cutting edge technology in, uh, in survivalism and eco building and all of that. And so people not only are having a lifestyle, but they're part of the cutting edge of this trend back to the earth. You know what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. And it's very, very cool. I don't think it's a life everybody's going to want to live, but I think that. Correct. I think one of the things that we need to do, really do as, as survivalists, is start understanding that it is important for us to understand the way that others want to live as it is for us to understand how we want to live. So I probably won't be rushing off to live in a tiny house on your place. I may come out there and visit and enjoy it for a while, but I like having my little fiefdom out here. This is my domain, right? Oh, yeah. and, and that's what I want. But that doesn't mean I can't see the, the, the value in it mm -hmm. for someone else. And from a business perspective... That's what business is all about. There are plenty of business owners that, you know, don't go home and eat whatever they produce every day or, you know, watch the TV that their company sells every day. Right. But they understand the market wants it and they put it in a format that is, is, is good for the market. Exactly. And you know what? There are young families, especially, that I've found that everybody who's applying here to, to buy lots or to buy these land leases, they're all young families. And they, they don't want a big McMansion or anything like that. They want to be close to the earth. They want their kid to be raised properly with, with good vegetation and good food and good clean water and, a, you know, a uplifting, expansive education rather than a limiting one. And, you know, it, it, talking about getting into a home for under a hundred thousand and still having a good, decent home, like this is one of the only ways you can do that, you know, because you're not buying a lot. You're getting a good lease for it forever that you can give to your kids. You're getting it at a very decent price and then building, you know, whatever kind of home is, is within your budget. So you got the renters, you know, the people who want to taste the lifestyle and eventually are working towards that in their own right. And then there's the, you know, woofers and people who aren't renting, but they're sort of transient. They come and stay for the hostel environment for a little bit or, you know, they're going um, to the wolf laurel up here and going skiing and whatever. And they just want a place to crash. So it's really what we've done is not just an eco village, but it's a hostel. It's a bed and breakfast. It's a retreat center where people can come and have classes and whatnot, um, like week long yoga classes or instructional classes on how to tan hides, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And it's in an environment that is designed to um, sort of demonstrate all of the new technologies that are available to us in permaculture, in ecological building, in sustainable living. You know, I'd love to be able to just say, and how's everything going? And, and here you say, everything's worked perfectly, and there's been no real challenges with this, and everybody gets along all the time, <laughs> but I wouldn't believe you if you did. So, can you talk about maybe some of the challenges you've had to figure out and overcome along this, this path? Yeah. Well, it's for folks like me, and I think you're one of these two, it's like you know what you want, 
you know, and, and yeah. you go after it and you, and if there's something aspect to it that you don't like, you're like, okay, well, I didn't see that one coming, but I can deal with it this way or that way. And you know, whatever. Um, one of the challenges is people like, I want to live this lifestyle. And then they come out and then they're like digging manure and they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to do this, you know? Um, so it's, it, there's like that trial period that you have to work that. And we did that with a lot of our woofers when we were initially starting. It's like, we've got, you know, a couple days to see if we like each other. And then a couple weeks to figure out if like, this is going to be what you really wanting to do for a full year or for a full season. And then, so we're not investing in each other too, too greatly. It's sort of like, you know, you want to go out on a date before you want to, you know, get married, that kind of thing. Sure. So, um, so that's been one of the challenges, you know, and then also I've found, and this is kind of in the, the, the self-help sort of esoteric world, because I used to be a facilitator for youth uh, activists and, and, and soul empowerment workshops, you know, kind of like the Tony Robbins type things where it's like self-empowerment. You want to feel better. And you find that there are these subconscious traits and patterns that we all have that that sabotage us and limit us from what we're trying to accomplish and whatever. So the, one of the greatest resources we all have is people. And also one of the greatest challenges we all have is people <laughs> because we're all at different levels of growth and different levels of our own success and our own story, you know? So I've found that there has to be a, a tone set for, and, and we can relate it to being married. And I'm sure you can relate this with me as well is that, you know, when, when we're married, we don't get into partnership and it's all like hunky dory and everything's cool. And like, now we've made it, you know, there's serious work to be done at that point, And that is our own personal stuff comes up. We get triggered by things. We, we have subconscious patterns that get triggered that are not serving us that we have to deal with at some point, you know, if we're going to be happy and successful in life. And so as it is a challenge, it's also a great growth opportunity where people come together and get to work out their stuff. As long as the tone is set and as long as the space is created and it's safe and it says, okay, we've got an issue come up between me and so-and-so and we've got to work it out. Well, let's get together in this, this safe way. We have a mediation and, and you know, use nonviolent communication and all this stuff. And it's actually an opportunity for great miracles to happen in people's lives. Um, I know like I, I've gone to workshops and stuff where like there are these intense find your dreams, you know, become empowered and now you're cured type thing. And it's, and it's digging deep. And we, you know, not only do we dig deep in our souls, but we dig deep in the soil, you know? And so it's a great metaphor for being able to, um, to, to really do that work and, and, and get to the places we want to in our own personal lives. Um, Masanobu Fukuoku said, you know, farming is not cultivation of crops. It's the cultivation of, you know, perfected human beings. And I really believe that. So that's, you know, a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity, just like all challenges are. Yeah, when you're when you're growing your crops and they're not doing exactly what you want, you don't just plow them into the ground and start over. You know, uh, and and I think some people view human relationships that way. Well, this this person isn't doing exactly what I wish they would do for me right now, so right. I will write them off as being not you know and, not useful in my life. And I think and then what people tend to have two problems, right? Like either they do that with people like so quickly that they never develop good relationships, or they allow toxic people to stick around forever. And it's it's always about in everything from agriculture to business to relationships finding balance. It's so true, so true. And you know, if you if you have a relationship and you're not like pleased with it or whatever, and you just skip out and go, you'll probably attract somebody who's very much like the first situation until you learn to deal with it. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Th those would be the challenges, and I think also um, clearly defined leadership, you know, is is also a challenge because. If you look at organizations that are all consensus based and this and that, like they never really go anywhere or do anything or accomplish very quickly, yeah. efficiently. 
you know. But yeah. if you people got on me for being kind of hard on Occupy Wall Street, the, the groups there. But that was a good example of like other than sitting around and not taking a bath, they didn't get a lot done because everything was voted on by everybody, and no, so yeah. everybody had their own agenda, and pretty much. Eventually, instead of spraying them with pepper spray and, and doing stupid crap, the government just figured, well, we'll just walk away, and sooner or later they'll go away. And I haven't done any uh, research, but I think that's kind of done now. In some ways, I think so. In some ways, you know, there's still, and it's like with anything, you know, little groups will form, and that that'll have some powerful person, you know, in some sort of leadership or servant capacity, you know, and um, and they'll be getting stuff done because there's vision. There's purpose, you know, and I think that's really important in a in an eco village hostile retreat place is to have some kind of vision. And for us here, it's really we want to be a model because we're successful. We know how it works. We're making money. We, we, it, it, it happens, you know, and and it's funny because when I initially talked to you about doing this interview about it, it was where we were just starting and things were just like, oh, this is a good idea, you know, and um, since it's picked up steam and people have seen what I'm doing here, they're like, I'm actually being hired to be the business developer of some different eco villages that are forming. Um, and so much so that there's a community that, 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 um, that are hiring me to be their, their personal, like, we want you to do what you did at your place, but do it here. And, you know, offering us, you know, to live there and all kinds of wonderful stuff. So it's, there's, there's all these great, it's, it's needed right now. I think a lot of people are looking for co-housing opportunities that are not the old models, but are what's coming. And it really does have to do with this, like, uh, as much as I hate it, it's really this corporatocracy that's happening. And, it is. You know, and it, it, it's really like a return to serfdom, essentially, um, is what there is, what the, it's like corporate serfdom. Um, and we're trying to uh, abate that and say, no, that's not what it is. We'll, we'll, we'll take the model of that, but we will keep the vibrancy of um, people being free. While Let me say something, too. I think the opportunities are huge. So you've got all this going on. You know, you say it was a long time ago that you filled out your interview form, and I think we were booking three or four months out. And that's, that's a long time between setting up an interview and doing it, but in the grand scheme of things in business, it's not it's quarter. It's totally right? it's less than a quarter, yeah. Right, it's it's not that big a deal. So that 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 shows how quick things can bring up steam. Uh, I just had Nick Bertner on. He's got people asking him to come do consulting gigs for permaculture design. That he's like, I want to help as many people as I can, but I can't go everywhere. Right. You just asked me before we started, can I come out and teach a course this fall? I'm like, dude, I'm slammed. Right. Um, right. So what that says is there is massive opportunity. Totally. At every layer, whether you want to build eco-villages, do mainframe earthworks design, be an energy consultant. I mean, it doesn't matter. There is so much demand for this. And I think the one thing you'll probably agree with me that we have to get the hell out of our heads and just whenever it sh it's going to show up because we attract, and I know you won't take this word the wrong way, the hippie element, right? Because right? there's a lot of people today that call themselves hippies. I'm like, you guys need a new word. Yeah. <laughs> You're not what we're talking about. But that, that hippie element that wants everything for free and doesn't want to do any effort or put any work in. So if you're a hippie and you're not that person, don't be pissed off at me right now. Yeah, but that group in permaculture is dragging the whole thing like a boat anchor because, well, I can't go because it costs money. Then get your ass a job, make some money, save up and invest in your life. Because I'm not investing in your life for you. Right. That's up to you to do. That's right. And if we, if, 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 I think a lot of people get scared to go into this as a profession however they would most like to because they those people are so vocal and they think that 
Well, the whole industry is rife with that, and if I go to do this, there's not going to be a market for me because it's all those people. It's not true. It's not true. They just talk the most. And, exactly, and and to defend a segment of that population, like most of the woofers that have come through here, the you know people who are traveling and want to farm for a season or whatever – most, I will say, there there have been some rotten apples, but are like some of the hardest working folks and are just like down for whatever and ready to go. They're not on my list though, because they're really? they're saying I will exchange labor yeah. for housing and knowledge. Not I want you to print out your book and make it into a PDF and share the surplus, man. Right. And there's so much of that out there. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean I I don't have the kind of place where you can come work well, actually, I do. I have an intern now, and that's exactly what we have going on. But I can't take 10 people like that. I don't have a big enough operation. But I see that as a valid exchange of value between people, right? Oh, for sure. Just like I do paying a consultant to design your property. Exactly. And, you know, if, and, so, and then we have the website, you know, which has, like, sponsorship potential on it and the ability to, to um, make affiliate sales and stuff. So there's like lots of ways that the, there's lots of different streams coming into um, a homestead or an eco village, right? If done right. But you need a lot of people to manage that. Now, now if you can come up, now here's the, here's, I've, there are two linchpins on this whole thing that are, that's so crucial. And I think linchpin's the wrong word. It's, um, there are two things that are so crucial to make this whole thing work. And one is housing and the other one's employment. And being able to employ people in your village um, or give them a means for employment is, is, uh, to, is huge. And there are so many options for that, especially nowadays online and whatever. Like we have a sort of boiler room office that we use that people can come in and be doing um, uh, customer service on phone, phone calls for two hours a day. And they're paying for their entire, their entire stay here and food and whatever. You know, it's it's um, there's there's lots of ways, and we've got the we've got the, the the golden ticket, as it were, the system that works. You know, and it, it so it's no surprise to me that with what you were saying, with the um, how fast this industry is taking off, and and what opportunities there are. I mean, there are countries, you know, like Bolivia, that are looking for people to come in and build eco villages on a large scale that can house like a hundred thousand people or more. Um, yeah, I mean, the the the, the nation of Yemen. Yeah, is throwing down the, the like the invitation big time to Jeff Lawton going, okay, look, we're screwed. We can't feed our people. They're about to revolt and kill us all. Right. Please come show us that if you can do this, come do it. That's part of what's making him harder to get into places right now because of, you know, nations asking the guy to show up. Now, they're not going to do that for me and you, but... Maybe not yet, but... Not yet. I, I don't want it, but you might. But what I'm saying is, like, if, if that... When you look at opportunity in an industry, you kind of look at, well, what what is the person that's the top of that industry able to do, and what's the median? And I think when you look at it that way, there's as much opportunity for a young person specifically today in this field as there isn't anything else out there. Really, and it only comes down to your your skill. Like if you if you know your stuff and you can show people and demonstrate that. Then the the world's ripe for opportunity, and I think the future is this like corp at least in the United States and you know probably globally too is like this corporatocracy, and it, it it's almost like these will be the safe havens, you know these these villages. These, <laughs> it, it'll be like the place where you can go to escape that 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 system in a sense. Yeah, and I think it's happening all over the world and in little different flavors. I mean, it, this is happening like crazy in Greece right now. Yeah, um, but it's happening because like people are like, right? oh, we're screwed. We gotta do it, yeah, right? Exactly. So what I love about what's happening in America, and I talked about this earlier this week, we're doing something that I actually haven't seen a society ever do in history, and it gives me hope. 
Most of the time, if a crisis is coming, you get the preparedness mindset, which is what kind of started this whole modern survival movement. Yeah. But it's just about let's hunker down and be ready and get through it. And then after a catastrophe, either you get through it and it just goes back, sort of resets, or rebuilding is necessary, and then everybody says, okay, we got through it, let's rebuild. What I actually see happening now is the rebuilding beginning before the collapse. Totally. And, with, and that, is the most, that is the most inspirational thing that I've seen come out of this, this whole you know, piece of, of, of what I call – I don't separate permaculture and survivalism at this point. It's, right. you know, permaculture is survivalism. Exactly. And, it, you know, my wife and I had these discussions when we were first doing this whole project, and that was like, are we trying to be preppers and survive, or are we looking at a hopeful future? And it just so happens that all the skills that make a beautiful and hopeful, productive, happy future – are the skills that a survivalist would need, but you're just doing it from it. You know what I mean? They, they, yeah, of course. You're doing it from, the, from a, a bountiful place. I'm like, I'm not afraid that the government's going to come and, you know, take our stuff. Like, I really don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I don't think they have time to come take your stuff. They're, 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 they're sinking <laughs> under the weight of their own bull, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's like, I think we should spend our time focusing on what we want and not trying to avoid what we don't want. Not, not to mention permaculture or not, I think if you ever had a, and I wouldn't say a government threat, but let's say a, a physical threat to your, your place, you're not the kind of guy that was going to say, like, yo, man, peace, and take my stuff. Like, there's, there's, there's a certain level of, let's call it a militant side to Xavier Hawk. There is. I'm, I'm, I, I definitely, uh, I like everything tactical. I mean, for me, the, <laughs> there was a point where uh, I, I was, you know, overwhelmed with the fear of, you know, what's going on in the world. I listened to, you know, a certain... Uh, online talk show host all the time, and it was just ridiculously unpleasant. <laughs> and so I, learned, I was like, oh, man, I better learn how to be in the woods with nothing but my knife or just my teeth, you know? And, like, so I did. And But that's the thing, right? It was the fear, and so many humans are very complacent and are don't want to look at fear, and they don't like the unpleasantness, and that's precisely what allows them to be enslaved. But a person who is willing to look deep into fear and be uncomfortable and find the solution and find a way to harmonize with it and, 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 and grow from it. I mean, that's what makes us strong as a species, you know? Absolutely. So it, it's that willingness to, to do what's hard, to look at what's hard and, and face unpleasant ideas that makes us, you know, anti-fragile. You know, the more you hit us, the tougher we become. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the thing is with all of this and running this eco village, uh, then you say, okay, let me add another layer of complexity to my life. And this is something I'm doing, so I know it's, it's on some levels, it's really enjoyable. You have a great time, but when it's over, you're tired. Oh, heck yeah. Um, and that is you're running, like, retreats and skill workshops and things like that. Now, I, I bet you one of the advantages you have over me is since you have all these people there, that are there on a permanent or semi-permanent or transient basis, you have a lot of hands on deck to 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 help with stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, but it does add another layer of complexity. Why did you decide it was important to not just have this eco-village thing going on, but have a thing where like somebody comes there for like a, a week-long retreat and learns about one thing? Well, twofold. The one main reason was because I'm you know, 45 minutes from town and I don't want to always plug into town. Like I don't want to drive two hours just to go do something. Um, I want to, I want to have education and, and cultural events around me. You know, like if I can't go to the party, I want the party to come to me. Um, so that's my own personal flavor of things. Like, cause I love meeting new people and being inspired by people's journeys and like, and networking too. Cause that's great for business as well. Um, but so that, that's one component. And then also wanting the skills myself, like, and, and instead of like, 
figuring out how I'm going to take my wife and kids and or figure out daycare or whatever to go to some workshop. It's like, well, let's have it here. And um, we've done that so far with some really cool projects and it's been a lot of fun. And it just makes me feel like, oh, this is and and then looking from a business standpoint, um, you've got your main source of your, your like for you, it's the, the the survival podcast. The membership is like the thing that that drives it. Right. And that's our that's 80 percent of our revenue. Exactly. Yeah. So then you have other things, other streams that bring in a little bit here and there or whatever. So the retreats is like one of those other things because you can't count on a consistent retreat schedule to pay for stuff. You know, unless you have like a few that are like they pay the whole year's worth or whatever. But then it also we get to interact with all the and I, I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods. But here there I mean, you, you throw a stone and you can find a massage therapist. You throw a stone and you can find somebody who's an expert at mycelium and picking mushrooms. And, you know, there are all these different young teachers who have so much knowledge that it's important to have centers for them to be able to disseminate that knowledge at a, at a, in a good environment at a reasonable rate and so that people can learn more. Um, so it's, as, it's almost like doing a service and helping solve the problems of the community around here. And, you know, sure, we get remunerated for our efforts and, and it's fun because we get to meet new people and stuff like that. But, yes, there is a lot of <laughs> – there's a lot that goes into putting an event together. And, uh, I mean – I think you kind of have a, a passionate side as a teacher. Is that a big part? Like, well, I, I just can't shut up. I got to do this too. Yeah. You know, when I'm, yeah, totally. And if I figure out something, it's like, I want to go tell everybody how to do it because it's like, it's really cool. Like we just built this, um, this monolithic concrete dug into the hillside earth ship. Basically it doesn't, it's not with tires and it's not Michael Reynolds design per se, but it, it you know, an earth ship is what it, it harvests, uh, the food, the water, the power, um, yep. provides a thermoregulating environment to live in, you know, all of that. So that's what this structure does. And it's got like a living roof garden. It's, you know, a root cellar and, and all of this stuff. And I'm like, I just want people to come and see it and know that it's possible to do these things. Like this is what uh, an amazing living roof garden will look like, you know, if you do it right. So um, and that's part of why the website exists, like Colony Earth, is so that we can share all the cool projects that we're doing and how to do them so that, you know, we're just contributing to the, the mass awakening, as it were, back to our roots. Gotcha, gotcha. So, like, a lot of people have gotten on me over the years saying, like, you know what, you, you're just too public. And if the zombies march, they're going to go right to your house. Let them come. Do you, do you, do you know <laughs> let them let them come. We, you, yeah, all the guys around here who live in this holler that are not even part of our eco village yet per se. You know, like um, yeah. they're all our neighbors and we know them, we love them, and like you know, they come over and plow our fields. We go over there and give them, you know, the, the things that we're growing. It's like back and forth, and yeah. um, you know, go bear hunting. And we've got you know, we tanning skins and you know, so it's like there's go ahead and come on, come on through. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll show you what's up. I uh, yeah, I mean, I've always put it this way: if I were a looter and I had a master list of every prepper in in America mm-hmm. who was well prepared, be down at the bottom, and I was going to go loot, I would go everywhere except the addresses on that list. Exactly, right? Because that is the best place to go end up taking a dirt nap. Right, and you know, with Hugo culture, we have a perfect use for that extra organic <laughs> matter. I mean, I, I don't mean to like, I don't mean to come off and sound like that from like being like. A, a, a maniacal guy. I'm in a Kugel culture year or something like that. Okay. But the reality is that we're talking about a day that you and I hope never comes. But we're like, well, if it does, then this is this is the solution. So I mean, yeah, we're in know. a problem solution environment. So if the problem is I don't like you, I'll leave you alone and you'll go away. Yeah. If the problem is you're coming here to hurt my, myself and others, and there's no uh, authority left to to make you go away, then then we'll do it for you. 
Yeah, people have and that's just the way that it is. For generations, you know, for many generations, people have just gone missing in these mountains, and they'll... and you're 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 talking about a village, and this is how villages have worked for thousands of years. Well, most why they in spite of all the mythology, most uh, primitive peoples didn't spend all their time fighting with each other because everybody would be dead eventually. Right. So they were peaceful, but when one group aggressed on another, then it was you know unite the troops and let's put it down. Right. You know, and, and when you have an environment of, of safe communication, people are allowed to be themselves, there's an uplifting vibe, you know, we can do and accomplish together. And like, I mean, most of the, it's crazy the people that we've attracted here, they're mostly like engineers with master's degrees. I mean, literally, master's degrees in aerospace engineering. We've had a master's degree in ocean engineering, a master's degree in uh, chemical engineering. And they're, they're like, we can't find work. You know, it's like, we spent all this money and we're really bright and really smart and we just want to grow stuff now because like we're not finding work in our in our chosen field and i'm going oh my goodness like this is <laughs> this is ridiculous but it 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 just goes to show these are smart people these are not like you're you know people that are like uh what am i supposed to do these are intelligent people and they're choosing this lifestyle like there's something there yeah i i you know i'll tell you i think it's it's two or three generations of true separation from who and what we are, where feet never touch the ground without the separation of the sole of the shoe between the foot and the ground. Mm-hmm. And people starting to ask a question like, why do I work so hard? Why do I have so much wealth according to my status versus others? Why do I have all of this pretty shiny crap around me? Right. Why do I have everything that I've been told I'm supposed to work for? And I'm talking about not middle-of-the-road people that are kind of getting by. I'm talking about very successful people in that conventional sense. And finally they sit around and go, then why am I freaking miserable? And I think it hits them harder than the person struggling to get by because the person still struggling is like, but one day, but one day, right? Right. So they're like, they they, they fold on to that. But once the person kind of really arrives at what everybody has told them success is, they're like, well, yeah, I'm not a multimillionaire or anything, but I'm supposed to have all the stuff that society says is important now and this sucks. Yeah. And then so okay, now what am I going to do? So they start example, maybe I need a hobby, maybe I need to learn something, maybe they start being afraid that they might lose everything they had, and they start researching it. Sooner or later, something brings them in touch with basic intrinsic humanity, which I don't care if anybody thinks this this makes me a modern hippie or whatever, but human beings have evolved to have a connection with the earth. That's right. I don't think you have to believe in the goddess, you know, <laughs> like that, for that to be the case, that I think that human hands and dirt go together and walking on the planet and actually feeling it and being part of it is part of what we are. And I don't think it matters what your religion is or is not. That that doesn't have anything to do with it. That you can feel that way, and I think when hum- whether they can articulate this or not, when they get that one touch and they go, "Whoa, yeah, that feels like something I should do." You know, maybe it's not like it feels like a drug, but it just feels like that. Just feels like something I should be doing. It whether it's a, uh, feeling a fish at the end of a line or or growing a potato or whatever it is, right. and they that just once they start on that path. It just feels more and more like where they should be the longer they walk. And just to make a social commentary here, I think the world of permaculture, homesteading, preparedness, survivalism, all of this is such a great 
um, common ground that you, that brings people together, really, because you've got your your, your hardcore survivalist right wing sort of like militia type, and then you've got yep. your very far left hippie, you know, communal everything type. But we all agree on this thing, you know, and that is like that we should be living this way for whatever reason, you know, for whatever. And then you got guys like me, you and me that are like militant libertarian hippies. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, we'll it, share it, everything as long as you don't demand it. Because what happens in society is that we are taught to be the. It, it's just like racism or homophobicism or whatever you want to call those things. It's like you're taught those things by the culture that you're in when really like I, so I might be this more on the, the hippie side than you, but like I come into to my town here, which is all like rednecks and hillbillies. And, you know, I get along with them because we have a lot of the similar freaking values, you know, and I look different, have long hair and tattoos and, you know, talk funny to them. But, you know, we have, we, we, we just got together on the same stuff, you know, and it, it really allows us to build bridges and stop having this divide and conquer mentality where we are the, the ones who are being conquered, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it's it's really great for that. Yeah. So um, when you when you wanted to, if you want to get something like this going, you're like, you know, I want to do what what Xavier is doing. Um, do you, people a lot of times feel like they have to build some type of an audience first or something like that. You really didn't do that. I mean, you got some exposure on my show and probably some other places, but you just basically went out. And did it, right? Yeah, and not only just did it, but did it in an environment, in a micro-environment um, of people who, uh, everybody's kind of doing this, you know? So, yeah. like, we were just... Oh, that's a good point, yeah, because it's not like, that's the that's the guy that, like, says, well, I'm going to go grow organic corn, and I'm going to sell it to people, and then move to Iowa. Exactly. And everyone's like, I, dude, I got corn in the back, but mine's organic. Look, I just planted it myself. I yeah. don't really know if you want to call it organic or not, but yeah. it's not the field down there. It's Iowa. We all grow it. I don't need your corn. Exactly. Well, I got some eggs. Yeah, I got, like, 20 chickens out there. You, you want some eggs? And, yeah, okay, I get you. Right. So, yeah, exactly. So we're in an environment where, like, every... Not everybody, but like I said before, you throw a stone, you hit a massage therapist, you hit a, you throw a stone, you got a mycology expert, you know. So it's like the the market is not it, it's full. It's like we're jumping into a pool of already happening. It's a big niche, you know, if you want to talk about it that way. Um, and there's a lot of people doing it, and the the cost per clicks are really high, <laughs> you know. Um, in, but in the real world here, so so for our small environment, it's like. Okay, there's there's a lot of retreat centers and there's a lot of campgrounds and you know all of these things, but the demand is there. You know, there everybody wants it. You know, and the 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 courses that are being offered can't meet the demand, so it's like we have a market share, if you want to call it, from you know, from business school. So, um, no, you don't need a built-in audience, though it, it's good to be able to reach out. To um to to for like for instance with the survival podcast you guys you know this this community is one of my favorite communities that I've ever been a part of because of everybody's knowledge and experience and sharing and just openness you know and like like I said it's like different different kinds of people getting together on the same vibe um and being able to see past differences and whatever so here having having a, a market that's so full and people are already doing it we add another flavor to it but we do it with a certain panache that everybody else doesn't. You know, we have a, a background that other folks don't. And, like, there's a, a lot more. We, we've taken all the different concepts that people are trying to do separately and put them all into one big package. So we have the um, the the um, the first horse, as it were, that, that, that leads the pack in terms of what, what brings us revenue. And then all of these other activities that help bring in a little bit. 
And if somebody wanted to do this, I would say get in touch with me. I can show you how to do it real easy. Um, and it, it does take it does take a good startup, especially if you're you know buying land and you don't have all of that. But if you have land already, like I've gone to a number of different communities that they they like have the land, they have all of this, they just don't have the activity, and they need the activity. And they're like, how do we bring the people? And I'm like, huh, this is really simple to figure out. Um, yeah. So so once I got that formula down, it's like okay, that makes sense. And like people are wanting to buy the business already of our place. And I'm like, I haven't even gotten it fully up to speed yet, but they like want to buy the business, um, you know, which we're open to. And we, it might just be that I become like an eco village developer, you know, and, and find people who've got the resources, don't know how to make it happen, but want to provide this and can see the, the, um, the potential here. And they want to do it on a scale that they can provide it to somebody like Bolivia or whatever. Like that's what it's funny because that's another, another company has approached me to do that, to be their eco village developer where they get the contracts because they have the connections and I'm the guy who goes in and does it. Um, so, you know, it's you're, you're giving me some some thoughts today on why my little foray into just like a probe to see if we could develop a community wasn't very successful. I'll tell you what we did and what, what did not work. And it was finding land that we and, and basically I can't go out and grab 100 acres of land. I don't have the capital for right. it. Right. Um, and even if I, I could probably pull it off, but it would probably end up divorced over it. You know, what I'd, how I'd have to extend myself to do it. Right. So what I started doing is I started looking for somebody in the audience and I didn't exactly explain what it would be. I just say, you know, I'm looking for somebody with somewhere between 50 and 100 acres that would be interested in a, in a business proposition. I'll give you details if you'll get in touch with me. And I talked to a bunch of people. Right. And it was all kind of in the North Texas area. So it'd be somewhere around where we wanted to be anyway. Mm-hmm. And my proposal was, that I and another partner would work with them, and we would basically sell shares in the land. Um, and the way that I proposed it, let's say a person had come to me with 100 acres. Um, they could have kept 10 for their little fiefdom on the village. Right. Uh, all the people that came in would have ended up with an acre. I would have ended up with four or five. My partner would have ended up with four or five. And and they would the, the original landowner would have ended up with enough money to go out and buy twice as much land somewhere else as he already had. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to give up my land. Right. And you're like, okay, right. well, I can't really make you a better business deal than that. And it yeah. was like we even had it in a way like that we would get all of the stakeholders lined up before we would actually execute a single sale. So if it didn't work, like if you only got like five people showing up saying, I'll buy an acre, that like we just say, okay, well, we tried this, the deal's off. And, uh, yeah, it just floated like a lead balloon with every person that actually owned a piece of land already. Well, that's, you know, and that's the, that's where we were too. Like if you had come to me with that, I've been like, nah, sorry, Jack, I love you and all, but peace out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, it's like when, when, when I've been talking with our lawyer, you know, we went back and forth on it and she's like, well, you can do it this way or this way. And she's like, so what do you want? And I'm like, well, I want to control the land and, you know, own it and this and that so that it can't get effed up and people come in and make all the kinds of decisions and they ruin my property, you know? Yeah. Um, like so she's like well then you want to be a benevolent dictator and you want to kind of do with this and this and this and i was like "Ah, hmm." and then i started testing the market as it were and people were like yeah you know i don't need to own the land i need to have access to it and be able to give it to my kids and all these things like there there are some intrinsic hurdles that you know people want they want to own it you know it's like this thing that we have in our mind like we own this thing and like um but really when explained like well you do own it you just it's this and this and this and it's like oh 
And I, you own it. I just pay your taxes for you. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, so. and I do think, like, we just had a discussion on the blog recently where somebody was really upset reading the Permaculture Designer's Manual, where in, I think it's Chapter 14, Bill goes on a few places about how true land ownership is a myth, and they, they took that as being very socialist. But I, I, I don't think that was his intent. With as much work as Bill has done over his lifetime for private landowners, I, don't, I think what he's trying to say is that you last at best about a hundred years, right? And land has been here for billions of years, a gajillion, yeah. And you will, it will be here when you are gone. And I think the Native American proverb that Nick Berner keeps bringing up is something along the lines of, "We are not inheriting the land from our ancestors; we are borrowing it from our children." That's right. And that mindset opens you to other options with, you know, what you consider and don't consider ownership. Yeah. You know, you brought something up that's a complete tangent um, that I just wanted to touch on is the native thing. Because back in the day when the colonists first got here, a lot of them were these Puritan establishments, right, these colonies, and they wanted out. And when they saw these guys running around half naked, enjoying life and being happy, not a care in the world other than the fact that these interlopers just showed up, they're like, I want out. And if you research back in the day, they actually had laws in those towns where you couldn't not you couldn't leave. You it's like huh. it was illegal to go join the natives, to go native as it were. That's where the whole term came up because people wanted to be that way. And so, you know, we had and I'm speaking from my native background here, and if I get a little bit passionate, I'm sorry. It's just I've seen okay. so much damage done, and it makes me kind of upset. It's like, well, we need to go back out and get off of our prisoner of war camps, these reservations, and go out and colonize our land back, you know, um, because really people want that lifestyle. and would lo- It's like it's taken how many hundreds of years for people to figure out this is the way to do it? Well, let's, yeah. let's show you how it's done then. Well, you know, that's a good point, and I would, I would call on anybody out there in, in, with, with that heritage, especially someone that's on a reservation today, go do it and just understand that, okay, so I'm going to go military here for a second. If you want to defeat an enemy, understand his method of war and be better at it than he is. Exactly. So if a whole bunch of braves run off the Crow Nation right now on horses and with, 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 with rifles and, and air, bows and arrows and decide we're going to take over a piece of Wyoming, uh, it's not going to work really well. Nope. And it would be far less expensive and far more productive to raise capital and go acquire the land. And that is a, if you do it as a peaceful warrior, that is a method of, we call it peaceful warfare, yep. that, that gets to the objective much faster with a hell of a lot less bloodshed and is far more effective. So, yeah. you know, I, I, just like I wouldn't go fight an enemy who was using tanks with slingshots, um, I would not go fight an enemy that uses money with a gun. You know, and I'm not not to get off totally on so many tangents, but, but you just said something that that's where the 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 whole Polak jokes come from is because in I think it was World War One or World War Two. Stop! II, stop! You're gonna get in trouble like I did. It's not true. It's a myth. Is it really? It's a myth. Oh, I got I got so much trouble when I brought that up one time. No. Um, they charged the the tanks because they thought the tanks were made from cardboard. And it just oh, never no, no, really happened. No. The, the, the way I heard it was that they knew that they knew that they were going to die. They knew that, oh, they, yeah. that they were outgunned, outmatched, and that there was no way it's going to happen. But they did it anyway because it was the right thing to do, and that was the word that they gave and their oath. That's what I heard. So I think the truth lies somewhere in in the middle. I don't remember the whole things, but there was a myth that that the reason the whole Polish are dumb attitude came up was that there was a Something about the the, the tanks were made of plywood or cardboard, yeah. and it was due to training. So, like, there actually were these these you know, plywood or cardboard things 
Um, uh, but uh, I, I don't. I'm not going to get into the full thing. I just want to say so that I don't get anybody pissed off at me again. <laughs> or me. And my, my, even though I'm Ukrainian, my family's roots actually are in Poland. Yeah. Uh, I we I'll get to that later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But yeah, what yeah. you're saying so, I think has some some components of truth to it. So, definitely. So to bring it back, it's like what what I've got here is we've got a model that works and it's scalable, and we could do it for a nation, we could do it for a village, and you know, corporate, you know, p- people are already interested in this. And I think the future is what you're talking about in terms of the business, the permaculture, where you've got these villages essentially that are working and and helping produce something um, that a corporation or an organization supports and, and kind of either sponsors or outright pays for um, in order to keep their investments low and their costs low because it's really efficient. And, you know, oh, and this is another thing that I didn't talk about yet was that there are positions available in, in an eco village, you know, because you've got a farm manager, somebody who has the actual vision of what's going to happen for the crops and what how what you know, when we need to plant, how we're going to do it, what techniques we're going to use, and that they can direct other folks who don't necessarily have the knowledge, but, you know, whatever. So part of the dues that a, that a family would pay or a person would pay goes towards paying for the farm manager. The other thing would be an activities coordinator or admin, which is somebody who makes sure that there's always some kind of uh, activity plan, that there's like regular yoga classes, uh, movie nights, check-ins where everybody gets together and talks about what they've been going through, you know, that kind of thing, um, and also workshops and plans all those. And then also as a community develops, there needs to be daycare or a teacher, you know. Um, one of the communities that's contracting with me, they already have a school set up, and that's one of the biggest draws for the people that are interested in living there um, is that is like they can go there and their kids are going to have a school. I, I know for us, we've actually been thinking like, Wow, you know, I'm going to turn this place into a into a, a running eco village. Turn turn around and have it be the, the 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 cornerstone foundation of of what we're doing, and then go find a place where we where where we can have like our own little fiefdom or whatever. But really, for me, it's about my children now, and I want to make sure that they have a good education and uh, and access to that. And like, you know, one of my daughters is like wants to be a doctor. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's go and make that happen. You know, um, so we get to include, uh, you know teaching as, as a, as a paid position here. So, um, you know, there's, there's all those different aspects and, and, you know, making sure that people can make money here, making sure that the, the, their lives, that they don't have to pay a whole lot to be here so that it's accessible and that it has all of the, the comforts of a nice small town, essentially. Very cool. Um, what is your view really for your future? I mean, what is what's next for for Colony Earth? Uh, well, my wife and I like lifestyle plan was um, thing that we're we want to be able to have like what I talked about earlier places where we can touch down around the planet because I I personally have a lot of global friends people who are um, doing business all over the planet and that, it really excites me. Um, I I grew up. Uh, my dad was, you know, overseas and had businesses overseas or whatever, and we traveled a lot. Um, and so I got to see a global perspective from a very young age, and that's really exciting for me. Um, and so we want to be able to travel and expose our children to that because I think that has a lot to do with the intellectual development and, and uh, cultural sensitivity of a child, of a person, is being exposed to all these things. So we want to travel, and we want to be... But Does that mean you need a vice dictator? <laughs> like somebody to dictate when you are dictationless? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've got... Uh, you know, we want to have, but we want to homestead as well. But homesteading is like 
you know, you have you have to do that all the time. If you're if you're going to be producing your own jam, you have to be working to produce your own jam. Um, so it's like, well, how can we make this homesteading thing work? And people who want to be spending their time doing that can be doing that and having access to the resource that we have, which is the land to do it. And it, it sort of blossomed out of this whole thing. And we want to be able to touch down and be like, here, we're here for a couple of weeks. We're leading a workshop doing this. We're plugging in with so-and-so. We're coming to pick our elderberries because we really love our elderberries and da 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 But some people can be here all year round, and some people are really passionate about starting a CSA, and they don't have land or access to it. Well, here's a great introductory way to get access to it. Have the, the, the land that you can just grow and go sell at market and make your money. You know, and it's like come and use the resources. We'll share them. We'll, like, make this work for everybody. So when we come and land here, we have good food to eat and all of this, and everybody who's who's here, we, they pay dues to be part of it, you know? So, um, so that was really the vision. And, and we want to set this up as a self-running eco-village where people are living here. There's a purpose to it, and that's to help go build more eco-villages and all of this. Um, so that's really the, the ultimate vision is, like, we can house right now about 14 people living here, getting their own pods, um, which are essentially like, uh, you, have you ever seen those Places in Japan, those hotels where you get like a, a pod, really, like at a hotel or something, or at a. Yeah. No, I'm not really sure what you mean. What you, you mean? Give it dimensions. Is it you know how much space is it? Um, it's like a four by eight square essentially that you can sit up in, and it's got privacy curtains. They do them at hostels a lot, where it's like if you don't want a bunk bed and be in a barrack style situation, you get your own private little nook. Um, okay. It's got power, it's got light, you can sit up in it, it's got storage for your clothes, that kind of thing. We can house 14 people doing that. We also have these things called hexayurts, which were invented by Vinay Gupta, um, came out of Burning Man. It's like, how can we use 4 by 8 panels that you get at, at the store, uh, like Home Depot or Lowe's, without having any waste? And they came up with these hexagonal yurt, basically, structures. And so we can put those up and house um, a family in those built to good specifications for um, people who are wanting to just rent or whatever or come for the workshops. So, I mean, we can have up to 50 people here just for the workshops alone. So, you know, building it into this, um, into the uh, a really well-oiled, self-running eco-village where people are living and growing and, you know, interacting and they can travel and whatever and stuff is always being taken care of. And then um, and have retreats and workshops happening explaining different activities uh, environmental technologies and some of the cutting edge stuff. And really, I'm now with all the extra um, interest that I'm getting from all these different corporations and organizations wanting to have me go and build these places at other spots. Um, I, I really kind of want to build that. I think I could I, I could get global with that, you know, and and yeah. meet my future. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. One question I have for you as we get near uh, finishing up here is with this many people together, like there's times when people need their space, and I guess you can. I, I found one of those little pod things, and I, I don't think it's for me, but uh, it's cool for no, people no. to explore. But do you, do you have maybe an area on the property that's not somebody's little dwelling or something? It's kind of like this is the, uh, the the don't 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 talk to people area, like a place where people can reflect and and basically, you know, if you go here, like you're clearly saying, like I don't want to be alone, but I don't want to be with you either. I just want to sit and contemplate. Or something like that, or a couple can go have a conversation without being interrupted. That type of an area. Yeah, of course. Actually, we've got tons of them. I mean, the okay, the the you can go anywhere. We've got a lot of uh, enclosed structures and a lot of like roofed structures that are not enclosed. So, like for instance, our yoga deck, you can go up there, and that's generally like either there's a class going on there, or people are doing yoga or sitting meditation. There's a lot of different actual like areas that we purposefully um, landscape for sitting areas where where you know. Because, I mean, 
my wife, forget it. She's like, Eco Village, no, I don't want to live in an Eco Village. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to have people around me all the time. I need a kitchen and, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I love that. And I, I'm, I honor that. And I, that's what I want to be able to provide. So, um, it, it really was like, well, how do we meet both of our dreams in, in this kind of setting fits? Because it's like, well, you can build a house and we can have our own place and we don't have to go outside and see anybody because we've got enough acreage that you can walk around and not have to interact with anybody. So if people want to learn more about everything that you're doing and get involved one way or another, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, ColonyEarth.com, and um, there are contact forms there. I, I would say if, if anybody's thinking about this or has land and wants to do it, and y- even you, Jack, if because if, um, the, the format that we came up with and the bylaws and the, the – I mean, I've, I've got a really good lawyer, and it's covered a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that, that is necessary. I mean, it's, at, at this point, it's really turnkey. There's a couple key elements that need to be involved, but um, you know, having, having these kinds of if, – if you have land and want to put together something like this, like let, let us know. We can help you. Um, if you want to live in a place like this, let us know. We can help you. And if you want to run workshops and need a place to teach people whatever you want to teach them and know that they're getting good food in a great environment, let us know. Very cool. I almost forgot about one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I'm glad I remembered it before we, we closed. Uh, you hosted Warrior Hike. What was that like? Dude, awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, the, the head dude the, that was leading the hikers, um, he had made a joke. Tell people what Warrior Hike is for those that don't know. First. Okay, so these two guys came back, returning veterans, and they they hiked the AT. You did that too, I think. Um, but they- not the whole thing like they do. I hiked from um, Clarks Valley, Pennsylvania, to the just little past the New Hampshire border. Yeah, which was a pretty good hike. And it's a great transition because you still kind of you know you're not dealing with civilization full on and all the morons out there, but you're also hiking, and which you're kind of could have been used to doing, you know, and anyway, so it's a great transition. So these guys um, decided they're going to put an organization together that um, returning veterans can sign in and, and hike the AT um, as a transition back to civilian life. So, and I heard about them on your show and I called them right up afterwards, like, you know, you guys got to come stay at our place. We totally want to support the veterans and returning veterans. And, you know, I think it's support the warrior, not the war kind of vibe that we have. Um, yep. And so they, they were totally into it and they came by and I, picked them up in our bus. Oh, that's another thing. We have a shuttle that we run from here to Asheville. It's a big passenger bus that, you know, when we have workshops or whatever, we can bring people in and take them out. Or if we have people living here that don't have vehicles, they can go get work in Asheville. Anyway, so I picked them up in this big old bus and um, they're like, who is this guy, Xavier Hawk at Colony Earth? They didn't know what to expect. So they all came and were like real, like, you know, what, you know, who, who are you? A little tap in at first. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, once we had the fire going, grilled up some hamburgers and hot dogs and all kicked it. I mean, we partied till like two in the morning, you know, telling stories, laughing. Um, it, it was just it was a blast. And then we, we uh, taught them about nettles and how to pick and process nettles. Um, we had a one of my friends, he's a medicine person, and he came and did a pipe ceremony for them, which is, um, you know, like the old I guess people who don't know would know best the peace pipe, you know, like the, the old Navajo peace pipe. Um, but the real explanation of what it meant and what it was. And I don't think any of them had ever interacted with that before. And they really loved that. And then we also did mushroom logs, inoculation, shiitake, inoculation of mushroom logs. We taught them how to do that. So it wasn't, it wasn't just like, let's show up and kick it and have a good time. And here's a respite. I mean, they had that, but then they also got some really good information and education while they were here. In fact, one of them decided to stay and is still here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. That's really cool. Yeah. 
So again, uh, the website colonyearth.com, and I'm sure you'd love to hear from anybody that uh, that wants more information about what you're doing or wants to do this themselves. Yeah, Jack, and if you want to, if I remember when you were talking about the the land idea back then, and you had just kind of hinted at it, and I was like, I should call him. And but anyway, <laughs> if you want to pick that up and do it in a way that that works, we can do that. Yeah, I, I think at this point it wouldn't be someplace that I lived at. No, I don't know. But I think we, 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 I might start poking around at what's available within, say, an hour of me. I'm actually in a place where I can do whatever I want. Uh, would right up about until the point if I started putting up, uh, you know, uh, structures and had you know 20 people living here, that would that's kind of where it would go away. So I got to be a little further out to pull that off and. My big challenge, and I don't know what it is about North Texas, is I would really want a place like this to have high-speed Internet access because of people that can actually run small businesses and things like that uh, from anywhere. And I think that's probably something that's important to you. And it's it's very once you get rural here, man, it's tough. Yeah, it's very crucial. I mean, we've even looked at... Um, one of the communities that we initially, like five years ago, we were the only way we could do it is if we brought in our own T1 tower, you know, and yeah. then then we would be the providers, and it was like another business thing. And I was like, nah, you know, forget that. It has to have high speed internet, especially because because we have jobs that we can give our people, um, it, but it requires high speed internet and a phone reception, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's something that's really hard for me to find and get far enough out to be left alone to do something like this anyway man i'm gonna i'm gonna poke around it again if uh Craig, i'll say it if anybody out there has got some land they're interested in maybe doing something like this with within let's say an hour hour and a half of the uh azel texas area let me know we'll we'll see what we can do between the three of us anyway man i appreciate outside you. the hour call me <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, if it's anybody outside of there, just go straight to Xavier. I don't, I don't care if it's here. You go straight to Xavier. Just, he'll let me know that you put me out of the loop. Uh, just, just, it's not, it, you know, whatever, man. I mean, whatever people want to do is what they want to do. Anyway, man, I appreciate you being with us here today again, and uh, I love what you're doing, man. Yeah, Jack, I appreciate you. You've helped our family so much in, in ways that you'll never know. And so just, you know, thanks. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Xavier Hawk helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seen our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.